Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. In the book of Acts, we saw how the Apostle Paul spread the good news about Jesus throughout the first century Roman Empire. The early disciples established churches which regularly met, and Paul kept the tabs on how they developed and sent letters to educate and instruct them on what it meant to be a church and how churches should conduct themselves. For the most part, these letters were, these letters were sent to churches in individual cities, which is where they get their names. In the Bible, the order we're studying today is Romans through 2 Thessalonians. We're going to cover them in chronological order the best we can with the multiple letters to Thessalonica and Corinth being covered together. There is evidence that Paul wrote other letters too. Well, the ones we're studying today are just the ones that God preserved for us in the canon. And as always, the goal of our instruction is that exposition should always have application. So with each, we'll be asking what the major applications are for us today for our own personal growth and sanctification and how to be a blessing for others. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 says this, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It is not just to puff us up with knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so as we look at each of these epistles, there will be opportunity for us to examine how specific passages in those letters might be of aid to us or our friends. So let's jump in and look at Galatians. Galatians. By grace, not by law, the finality of the gospel. Or, as you see the icon there with the tablets, what do we think? How do we think about the law? Paul founded these Galatian churches on his first missionary journey, wrote the letter one or two years later, and revisited them in his second missionary journey, and again on the third. Well, there are some key verses that are very important here. Galatians 2.20, where Paul says that, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What a great promise. And in Galatians 3, he talks about the righteous one shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Also, he refers to the curse that Christ bore for us on the tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. He fulfilled the law, and then he fulfilled the punishment of the law. So as we think about the law, we consider Christ first. In Galatians 3.24, the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we would be justified, declared righteous by faith. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. What the wonderful reality of the unity that we have in Christ, the equanimity we have in him, not only are we equal in the fall, the creation first, the fall, but also in redemption, we are equal. And then Galatians 4, 4, the providence of God in the fullness of time, God sent his son to free us from the curse of the law. Galatians 5, 1, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. We are free from the oppression of the law, especially the ceremonial law, Christ fulfilled all of the law. And then in Galatians 5, the wonderful description of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control, and how in each of the epistles, Paul does this. While the first part may be very strong and heavy in theology, the second part is going to be very strong in the application. We know these truths, therefore, and you'll see that in each of the epistles. Well, what is the role and the importance of Galatians? Martin Luther said this, the epistle is the Galatians, to the Galatians is my epistle. To it, I am as it were in wedlock. It is my Catherine. And of course, Catherine was his wife. Luther considered Galatians the best of all books in the Bible. It has been called the battle cry of the Reformation. It's been called the great charter of religious freedom or the Christian declaration of independence. It addresses the critically important question, how am I right with God? Is it by works or is it by grace? You've heard the term Judaizers. The Judaizers were not willing to accept the teaching of the apostles on the question of circumcision and the law for new Christians, especially Gentile Christians. They continued to insist that Christians must come to God through Judaism, must receive the marks on their bodies, and keep the Jewish law. The Judaizers made it their business to go in and cause trouble. Because of the Judaizers, the Galatians felt pressure to seek salvation from and under and through the law of Moses. Well, let's look at a quick outline of Galatians. I would encourage you, open up your copy of God's Word, and let's look at these divisions. Now, your copy of God's Word, the translators, those who published your copy of God's Word, may have a different way of dividing. That's perfectly fine. People do these things different ways. But in our case, a quick overview is this. First, the gospel being under attack in Galatia. Galatians chapter 1. And then in chapter 1, through and including 2, the history of law versus grace debate. Chapter, uh, the next one is salvation via faith versus salvation via works in Galatians 3. And then that wonderful description of the woman who is under the law and under slavery versus the sons and daughters and heirs of God. That's point number 4. Number 5 is the sinful flesh versus the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. And then, again, as we said, at the end of every epistle, Paul has some very practical ways that you can live within the Christian community. So, again, we ask the question, what are the practical life applications that are in the Bible? And you have a couple examples there in your notes. Look at the first one. I became a Christian a long time ago, but I still struggle with this sin. I must not be saved since I still have this battle. Well, how do you help a person who struggles with that? Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. And if you look through, chapter, through verses 16 through 26, you'll see a very helpful section. Walking by the Spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. If you led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And it contrasts the works of the flesh and then the fruits of the Spirit. By God's grace, if you work on demonstrating and exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you will make progress. That's a way to help someone. Look at the next example. Nobody around me cares about doing what's right. I know all about their problems. They should be under church discipline. So here you have a person who may be struggling with their own self-righteousness and seeing other people who are caught up in trespass, caught up in sin. Well, 
How do we help that person? How do we help ourselves if we're puffed up with pride? Look at Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any tra transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself or looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So the antidote for pride in ourselves or in others is to help them remember that any ability they have to see it and to work against it is by God's grace and in love we are to help that brother or sister. Let's go to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians, the theme, how to keep growing in faith, hope, and love. And Paul encourages them to excel still more. And you'll see in the upper left-hand corner a little icon with an arrow pointing up. So Paul went to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey and followed up shortly thereafter with the other letter to the Thessalonians. So if we look at key verses in the letter to the Thessalonica, you'll see 1 Thessalonians 4.1. He commends this church highly, but he encourages them to excel still more. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.10-12, through 12, he encourages those who may think that the return of Christ is an encouragement for them to be lazy. He encourages them to lead a quiet life and to attend to their own business. And then, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he gives this wonderful description that we all should know. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. What a great encouragement, comfort, and hope we have. And then he multiplies that by 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, that the Lord will come like what? A thief in the night, exactly. And then later on in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for that is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And I'll do a little cross uh, advertising here. The next uh, podcast, uh, Think This Way, is about discerning the will of God, and I encourage you to listen to that for the brilliance of Bryce Beal and my mindless rumblings. So, what is the role and importance of 1 Thessalonians then? This is one of the most positive letters from Paul to a church. Paul praises them for their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, expressing his deep love and affection for the members, even calling them his glory, his hope, his joy, and his crown. Throughout the whole letter, he commends them for their excellent example and goes on to list ways that they can excel still more. It's a good example for churches in the area and for today. Well, let's look at the outline. Again, I encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. There's a commendation for their faith, hope, and love in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 through 3. The Thessalonians' example in chapter 1. Paul's history with them in chapter 2. And his Timothy's visit and report, because you remember, not only was Timothy with Paul, but Paul sent Timothy on various appointments to check out and encourage churches. And then in 4 through 5, the next section is the challenge to grow in these areas. As Paul talks about loving others, he talks about the hope of the Lord's return and the preparation for the Lord's return. Now, there are two examples that are given here for you. How is the letter to the Thessalonican church helpful for us today? What do we learn? How do we glean from it 
for ourselves and for others. Two examples. Yeah, I guess we messed up. It started out by flirting as a joke, but we never meant it to go that far. It's just innocent fun. Does it really matter? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, we also find what the will of God is. What is the will of God in that passage? Your sanctification, exactly. Your growth in holiness. You're being separate. You're being set apart for purity and for walking sinlessly before God and before the world. All right, let's look at the second example. I don't know. Leadership around here doesn't seem to care. And I'm sure other people feel that way. Well, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, this is a check, not only on the person who might be saying this, but even the temptations we have to grumble against our leaders. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, we are encouraged to appreciate and hold those who are in leadership in high esteem and understand that their work is a work of love. So, again, God's Word, eminently practical. Not just theological knowledge, but eminently practical. Paul follows up with his letter to the Thessalonians very quickly because there has been some teaching that Jesus already came. Now, if you know anything about the organization called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, also called Jehovah's Witnesses, you will know that over the years they have made several claims that Jesus has already returned. And the Thessalonians were under the same impression by false teachers that the, to the point where they needed further teaching about the Lord's coming and living in the light of his coming. So again, the letter was probably written only a few weeks or months after the first letter. Paul explains that Christ's return will not be until after the apostasy. Now, false teachers were saying that he had already come, but the day they hoped for had not passed, their preparation and their suffering was not in vain. So, key verses in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3. Again, Paul pours out effusively his love and his appreciation for them. Their faith is growing more and more. Look at first, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. This is wonderful. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. God will protect his children. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Key verse. The day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And again, a wonderful comfort in chapter 3, verse 3. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then again, with regard to the practicality, some people who were concerned about the Lord's return had stopped working and become busybodies. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. So Paul needed to address three troubles. Persecution from the outside. What must happen before Jesus returns? and how to live and work together. Now again, let's look at some practical applications for our hearts and the hearts of those we deal with in Galatians. I'm sorry, in 2 Thessalonians. We did this, yeah, here we go. 
the outline is how persecution of the church ends, what must happen before Christ returns, how to live and work together. There we go. We'll catch up. All right. So in 2 Thessalonians, God doesn't care about me. All the ways I've been abused and taken advantage of, the number of times that my heart has been broken, what's it all for? What's it all about? My God's child or what? If someone is struggling with that, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 12. Read this. Understand this. Pray with an individual through these verses so that the individual may be strengthened you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. God is going to come and provide justice. And look at verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. You know, struggle with those who are weeping and mourning over their sin. Look at the next example. It's hard to know what to believe. There are so many different opinions out there and end times interpretations about Antichrist and tribulation. Should I stockpile food and water? The Jehovah's Witnesses said Jesus already came. Did I miss it? Am I going to hell? And again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that whole section, 1 through 15, gives comfort to God's people. All right, next in chronological order, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth where they were to focus on God's glory and not fight each other. Focus on God's glory and not fight each other. Sometime during his third missionary journey, Paul discovered that the church in Corinth was in trouble. They were divided and immature. They were abusing the sacraments, spiritual gifts, and each other. Paul founded the church. When he heard the struggles, he wrote a very bold letter. So you look at some key verses, and again, there are more than just the verses I'm offering but time limits us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block and foolishness to the Gentiles. A famous verse that we all probably have memorized, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. So then, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And 1 Corinthians 15, 14 very important word on the resurrection. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Well, a delegation of leaders of the Corinthian church were sent to Ephesus to consult Paul about some very serious problems and disorders that had arisen in the church. In response, Paul wrote this letter. Now, he had written one letter previously. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9 talks about that. We do not have that letter. But if we look at the outline for 1 Corinthians we see 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the greetings and encouragement of the church, and then correcting the areas of immaturity in chapters 1 through chapter 6, quarreling over leadership, lack of judgment on sex and legal matters. And then Paul, starting in chapter 7, he addresses issues that were raised in an earlier letter. And that, that goes for three chapters. Marriage, divorce, virginity, eating idol worship meat. And then he talks about church order, how you are to behave in the church of the living God. Head coverings, authority, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, the resurrection, and then greeting other Christians. So, a lot of terrific material in a letter to a troubled church. 
So, someone comes to you, one of our application questions here, and says, I thought your church was loving. Why do you have to discipline my friend? What about judge not, huh? What about that, huh? Don't look so smug. They're really hurting, and they may not even come back. Well, if your friend is hurting because they're sorrowful over their sin, that's a good thing. And 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, show us that it is a loving necessity of the church of the living God that we hold each other accountable before God for righteous living. How about a next example? Somebody comes to you and they're just absolutely wasted. They're just tired. I can't take it anymore. Nobody else has had to put up with this sort of nonsense. I don't see any way to solve this marriage. I want to out. I don't see any other way. Prayerfully help this person understand what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. What does it say? No temptation has come upon you, but such is what? Common to man. And God is faithful, who will what? He's going to provide you a way of escape, right? He's not unaware of it. Let's move to 2 Corinthians. Paul is going to vindicate his apostleship, talk about the glory of ministry, and deal with reconciliation. When Paul wrote the first epistle to the church of Corinth, they had been going through all sorts of divisive problems. When Paul came for a visit, some of the church opposed him. Strongly, Paul left and sent his associate Titus to Corinth with yet another strong letter admonishing them. Titus delivered the letter, and the church, including the member that had opposed Paul, repented. Now Paul had heard Titus report and writes to Corinthians, to Corinth, once again to address lingering problems. So, some key verses in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. The love of Christ compels us. One died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. And again, this is a great memory verse. We have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to what? Be pleasing to him. Exactly. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. 2 Corinthians 7, 16. This is... An amazing verse. Here Paul is chastening a troubled church. But he gives this wonderful recommendation, this wonderful comfort. I have complete confidence in you. Paul loved these people. That's why he addressed them as he did. So Paul writes to the church to resolve these lingering problems. Where do they stand with Paul? Why hasn't Paul visited them? And some are questioning his motives. How to complete the contribution for the Christians at Jerusalem and Paul's authority as the gospel. If we look at the outline for 2 Corinthians, which is simpler, he talks about the reconciliation, Paul's ministry as the apostle, Paul's confidence and joy in them, chapter 7, the contribution for Jerusalem and his legitimacy and his authority. Well, two example, two examples here. Why did God allow all of this to happen to me? I've searched and prayed and asked everyone, but can't find an answer anywhere. It's like totally random. 
I can't see this working together for good, so don't quote that verse to me. Is there anything good that can come out of this horrible mess? And what does 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4, say to this person? We comfort with the comfort whereby we are comforted. God may bring you and I through times of difficulty so that we may not know exactly why except for this, that God creates in us an empathy to weep with those who weep who are struggling with the same issue and encouraging them that there is hope. Look at the second example. I have a Christian friend who never stops talking about themselves, their problems, other people. I can't get a word in edgewise. How can I help this person see that following Christ means not being so self-absorbed? And you refer the person back to the passage in 2 Corinthians 5. Why did Christ die? So that we would live for him and not ourselves, but that we would live for others. And now, boys and girls, we go to our next letter. Letter to the Romans. I was going to put the shirts on and then take them off as, you know, but I really, I'm really not a quick change artist, so. Paul wants to encourage a church he hasn't visited and remind them of what they believe. Theme here, the nature of Christ's work, justification by faith, how the gospel works. That's why you see the logo with the little gears in there. This letter is the most articulate description of the gospel, salvation and Christ's work ever. Paul unpacks the implications of the gospel for everyone. He covers our sin, Jesus dying to satisfy God's justice, the Holy Spirit transitioning us from sinners to being adopted sons and daughters of the living God, how the Jews are exposed to God's standard through the laws of Moses, and how God the Father is glorified in Christ's sacrifice. So, what are the key verses? Well, there are too many to count. <laughs> Way too many to count. Let's read this one together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And that's what's on the back of that shirt. But there's another great verse. You all know this one. Let's read this together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans has profoundly impacted the greatest minds in the history ever of the Christian church. Luther said this, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament, the purest gospel, and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, by heart, and I'm still struggling to memorize Romans 8, as you know, but occupy himself with it every day as the, daily bread of, as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Wesley, John Wesley, and Augustine of Hippo were both converted upon reading this letter to the Romans. The overarching purpose of Romans is to establish believers in a faith. In the first part of Romans, it's great. What does he want to come and talk to them about? The gospel. These are believers. He wants to talk about the gospel. 
Well, let's look at an outline of Romans. Again, there are many different outlines. This is just one simple outline. Paul greets them in Romans 1, and then he talks about the gospel in Romans chapter 1, through and including Romans 11. How our sin makes us enemies of God. How Jesus reconciled us with God. How the Spirit changes us from sinners to sons and daughters of the living God. How God glorifies himself in salvation. And then, Romans 12. Again, as is Paul's habit, right? He's going to talk about the application of these great theologic truths. Our response to the gospel. And then, greetings to specific Christians in Rome. You know, I was going to start this class by saying I've been assigned nine epistles to do in 50 minutes, so we're going to cover Romans chapters 1 through 3, and that's it. You're going to have to do the rest by yourself. So, um, two applications. It's okay for you to tell me that's going to work out for good, but I don't see any benefit from what I'm going through right now. What is God doing in me through all of this. So what do you do? How do you help this saint who's struggling with the providences of God? How do you help them understand what God's purposes is for them in the midst of this? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, there's a wonderful recommendation. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. There's purpose in your suffering. Even if you can't understand exactly the details, there's solace and comfort in God's word. Another one. It's no good. I can't make any progress. This young man comes to you and he says, I do the same stupid thing again and again. I want to stop, but it's like a fight going on inside me. Am I the only one? Am I, am I really saved? Romans chapter 7. Bring the person there. Help them to see that the Apostle Paul wrestled with that. And what was the end verse in Romans 7? Praise be to God. For on the one hand, what? You know? That's right. He's struggling with the law and the flesh. Right? But on the other hand, take the person to this passage. Help them see that if they're struggling, praise the Lord, they're struggling. If they were not a believer, they wouldn't care at all. all right? I've got another shirt. Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved by faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone should boast. Ephesians. I hope you're not disappointed I'm not doing my quick change routine. The unity of the church. The unity of the church. Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ. You're a Christian. Now what? Paul is spending his life teaching Gentiles that they should be Christians without becoming Jewish proselytes. This was displeasing to Jews. They sought the Mosaic law as binding on all. Paul did not want Gentile believers to be prejudiced against the Jewish Christians and vice versa. He did not want the Jewish Christians to think less of the Gentile believers. Paul calls attention to grace, peace, and love, and he does not want two churches, a Jewish church and a Gentile church, but one church there, one in Christ. So, let's talk about the passages. Besides the one that was on that shirt, 
uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. What a great doxology. After talking about these great theological proofs and, and truths, Paul breaks into the song. What a great way to respond to gospel truths. Ephesians 4.1. He is the prisoner of the Lord. He implores them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which they have been called. And then in Ephesians 6, he talks about the armor of God. Great key passages. So, as we look quickly at an outline concerning the Ephesian church, he talks about our calling in Christ, which is the first three chapters. Identity, grace, peace, Paul's calling, and Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. By the way, if you ever wonder about how to pray for someone, use that prayer. Use that prayer for yourself. Use that prayer to pray for others. Then, the last section, all appropriate application, our walk in Christ, Ephesians 4 through 6, in unity, differently than the world, carefully, in love, and with the armor of the living God. So, let's talk about some practical applications here. Clara. Clara seems to be struggling with some long-term sin. Many people don't believe what she says and have often caught her in lies more than once. So you tell me, what are we going to talk with Clara about from Ephesians 4? Come on, I don't have a lot of time, folks. Help me out here. <laughs> yeah, lie no more. Speak the truth, right? So the put off and put on. God gives us this wonderful application and the Spirit of God and the grace of God to be able to grow away from these sins. And my favorite example of the whole lesson right here. Gladys and Wilbur are at it again. This church couple has been around a while and she frequently speaks out publicly about her husband. He seems to be absorbed with his smartphone and you wonder if he is neglecting his wife. So what are you going to Ephesians 5 to talk with them about? Husbands, love your wives and wives. See to it that you respect your husbands, right? Okay, good stuff. You guys tell me how it works out with Gladys and Wilbur, okay? Okay. Next, Colossians, the deity and all-sufficiency of Christ. Set your mind on things above, which is what that icon there, the cross in the skull of that individual there. Okay, so Epaphras, a member of the Church of Colossae, had come to Rome with word that a dangerous heresy, a mixture of Greek, Jewish, and Oriental religions, a sort of higher thought cult, has presented itself as a philosophy in Colossae. It called for the worship of angels and strict observance of certain Jewish requirements along with asceticism. It was proclaimed in high-sounding phrases and an air of superiority as an addition to the gospel of Christ. So, look at key verses. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not your ability, not your knowledge, not your special knowledge. Colossians 2.6 As you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, being rooted and grounded in Him. Again, focusing on our Lord Jesus Christ. Not you, not your special knowledge. And then Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Don't bite and devour one another. Do not challenge one another and hold yourself above each other. 
a very practical application of the truths of the gospel. Looking at a quick outline, who we are in Christ, chapters 1 and 2, Christ is our head. Christ is fully man and fully God. In him, the fullness of Godhead dwells in bodily form. Again, these epistles not only are focused on the practical, but they point us to the living God. They point us to his Son. They point us to the enabling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be imbalanced here and think that it's just you know, a practical key phrase we can rip out of context. We'll get to that in a moment. But how to walk in Christ. He is our life. He is our master. So when someone tells you to get a life, Christ is my life. Bless you. All right, practical applications. Well, you know, I don't come from a religious Christian home or or background, I, I know I'm supposed to pray, but how am I supposed to pray for myself? And again, Paul, as is his habit, in the beginning chapters, if you look at Philippians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, you look there in your copy of God's Word, how do we pray? Well, what are we praying for? We not cease to pray for you, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, be pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance. See what I'm saying? It's a great prayer. What a biblical prayer. Do you think God's going to answer that? <laughs> uh, good stuff. Good stuff. The church at Colossae. So, what about this next one? I don't have good relationships with other Christians. How do I change? Well, turn over to Colossians 3, and you look at verses 1 through 17, and there are some very practical things to dwell on. First off, what are you dwelling on? Where are your thoughts? Are your thoughts on the earth, your own goals, your own ambition? Your, your goals? Well, look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, immorality, impure and passions, evil desire, covetousness. All right? And then again, putting those off and putting on the characteristics that are included there. Philippians, a letter of joy. Rejoice no matter what. Life was hard in Philippi. The Christians were being persecuted. Paul... Their first teacher, who was jailed at first, is jailed again in Rome. One of the key members had died. They worked hard for this, the gospel ever since Paul shared it with them. But Paul tells them to rejoice because God is at work. Philippians is one of Paul's other most encouraging letters. He tells them how much he longs to see them and warns them about potential pitfalls. Rejoice no matter what. So the icon there is the apostle behind bars, raising his hands in praise. Key verses in Philippians, chapter 3, 13 through 14. Forgetting what lies behind, straightening forward toward what is ahead, I press forward on the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And the verse that is often taken out of context, brothers and sisters, Philippians 4, 13. 
on the very massive chest of my friend Shane Heyman, who is an Olympic weightlifter, who had on his shirt Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that mean he can lift up a thousand pounds and do a squat in it because of... No. It's a common thing. But Paul's talking there about being enabled through poverty or riches or humility or trial to be strengthened by God. Now, does God provide Shane Heyman, the Olympic athlete, to have his physical prowess? Yeah. But that's not specifically what Paul's referring to in Philippians 4.13. Well, what's the outline of Philippians? That in chapter 1, we are to rejoice because Christ is our life. Philippians 2, we can rejoice because Christ is our example. Philippians 3, Christ is our glory. And Philippians 4, Christ is our strength. So, let's look at some practical implications and principles we get from Philippians. Um, How many examples do you have there? Do you have two or three? You have three? Okay. Man, my progress is so slow. It's like one step forward, two steps back. Is this Christian walk for real? I see so many others who have their act together. They're all holy and stuff. What, what What do I do? Well, again, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Let's see where there's some help for this person who's struggling. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God. First, you thank God for the person. You thank God that they're having this struggle because if they didn't, it would not be a good sign. But you pray for them. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, make my prayer in all joy. Your partnership for the gospel until now. And then verse 6, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Strengthen the brother or sister. Strengthen yourself if you're struggling. Next example. When I was growing up, my Sunday school teacher gave me a great secret. Let go and let God. So my approach the growing crisis just said, I figure when God's ready, it's going to happen. Okay. Yeah, that's not the way it works. You'll go to Philippians chapter 2, and you'll look at verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work, or to do, King James, for his good pleasure. It is a synergistic thing, boys and girls. We must work. We must work. As a matter of fact, if you look at the last... Let's... let's, I can't believe this. I've got time. (laughs) Go to Galatians. The last verse in Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go to the last verse in Galatians. Okay. Well, I apologize. That's not the right verse. 
Well, we'll have to save that for next time. Okay. But the fact of the matter is that <clears throat> we are expected to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. And then Philippians 4, 8 through 9. For someone who can't stop thinking about these things and they're caught in a spiral of negative thoughts, they're not dwelling on anything but their own failure. They're listening to the words of the accuser being whispered in their ear. What are they filling their minds with? And bring this passage, Philippians 4, 8 through 9, to the brother or sister. What are you thinking about? You know, what's, what's in your thought? What's occupying? You know, are you looking at yourself and your circumstances? Are you looking at the God who's behind those circumstances? You know? Nine epistles, 47 minutes. I'm stunned. But God is good. Hopefully, with our quick study of these things, we will have gotten a good overview of these nine epistles and seen that there are not only some rich theologic truths, but also some very practical helps for ourselves and our brothers and sisters that we can be used of God to encourage them. Well, let's pray and we'll soon join the rest of our fellowship in worship. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you and praise you for this time. We thank you for these letters of Paul to these various cities and how you have preserved them through the years for us. Thank you, Father, that it's not just rich theologic truths that we can store and meditate upon, but these are truths that affect our lives. Lord, thank you for showing us your glory and your splendor through the Apostle Paul to these churches and to us through the years. Help our lives to be changed in such a way that we reflect the great redemption that you have wrought in your Son that Christ would be exalted, and we praise you for this time. In his name, amen.